Thanks, Robert. It's great to be here. Last time we were up here, I think we did a thing on baptism with Jack Cottrell. Amir was there, I think. All right, a few of y'all were there. Anyway, um, how many people here are into Jesus? All right. So we're doing a whole weekend on Jesus, all right? So that's, that's actually a pretty good plan, I think. Okay, so I'm pointing... Aha, turned it on first. There you go, great. So uh, tonight, the topic is, who is Jesus? Okay. And tomorrow morning, we're going to have two lessons. The first lesson is going to be, will the real Jesus please stand up? And we're going to talk about 11 different Jesuses. Wow. Right? I think that's the plural of Jesus, is Jesus. Is that right? I was trying to figure out how to spell that. Is it J-E-S-U-S-E-S? Or is it J-E-S-U-S apostrophe? Or is it J-E-S-U-S apostrophe S? I think it's J-E-S-U-S apostrophe. I think. I think that's how you spell that. And then, the, uh, the third lesson is going to be uh, four portraits, one Jesus. Plus one. All right. Four portraits, one Jesus, plus one. All right, and a couple, about three or four years ago, uh, Robert and Michelle were down in San Diego. They decided to do a whole year where the theme was, guess what? Jesus. So this year in San Diego, our theme for the year is, and sorry, in Bakersfield, I still make that mistake occasionally, is hashtag Jesus. So tonight, I'm going to do a, a, a very, very basic lesson on who is Jesus. So here's the question. There's a lot of opinions about who Jesus is. Some people say that Jesus was a sage. And it's, that's not like parsley and rosemary and thyme. Right? Uh, like a wise person. Like a guru. Would you say, from your opinion, that Jesus would be a sage? A wise person? Okay. Uh, other people say that Jesus was a prophet. Still others say Jesus was a liar. A faker. Others, even in his own time, said he was a crazy person. Oh. Out of his mind. Yeah. In fact, didn't his family think that about yeah. him? Yeah. Some people think he's the Messiah. Others think he's the Son of Man. And still others think he's the Son of God. Alright? God in the flesh. Some people say that really Jesus is just a myth. In fact, we sponsored a, uh, a, a debate uh, several years ago in Houston, and uh, one of the people on the other side of the debate said Jesus is not even a real person, just a myth. Wow. All right? And uh, some people say he was a man. By that we mean just merely a man. A pretty good man, but merely a man. Uh, another idea is that Jesus is one religious leader, kind of amongst other religious leaders, awesome people. Now, of those, which is the most common view of Jesus? I think this one here is the most common view of Jesus. That he's just, you know, there's Krishna, and there's Muhammad, you know, and Joseph Smith, I don't know about Joseph Smith, but, you know, that, that was a joke. All right, Joseph Smith. All right. Now... Could somebody be more than one of the things on this list? Yeah. All right. For example, could you be Messiah 
and prophet. Is that possible? Yes. Yes. Right. Could you be a liar and son of God? No. 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 Could you be God in the flesh and an important religious leader amongst many others? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I don't know about that one. All right, so let's think about some of the things that, were, that different people claim. What did Confucius claim? You know what Confucius is, right? Yes. All right, he was a Chinese philosopher. What did Confucius say about himself? Well, what he said was he was a wise person, more wise than most of the other people. Okay? Do you agree that, for, at least from what you know about him, that he was a fairly wise person, probably more wise than almost everybody else around? Yeah. All right, good. Did he claim to be a prophet? Uh, son of God? Liar? No. Okay, uh, what about Joseph Smith? What did Joseph Smith claim about himself? He claimed to be a prophet. He claimed to have had direct one-on-one communication with God and with Jesus and with Gabriel, and then Moroni, this other angel, that's probably not a real angel, okay? Uh-huh. You know about Moroni. Okay, uh, let me see. What about Baha'u'llah? You're saying, who's Baha'u'llah? He started the Baha'i religion. He claimed to be the next Muhammad. And you know, all these guys say they're the last one and the greatest one, you know? So Muhammad said he's the last and greatest one, and Baha'u'llah said he's the last and the greatest one. Did Baha'u'llah claim to work miracles? No. He claimed to have, uh, basically, thus says the Lord. All right, Lao Tzu, Taoism, kind of like Confucius, wise guy. Uh, Buddha. Buddha's pretty famous. A lot of people follow Buddha. What did Buddha claim about himself? Did he claim to be a prophet? No. Did he claim to work miracles? No. What did he claim about himself? He claimed that he had a wise path. The, the three noble truths and the eight, you know, and the eight, um, uh, sorry, the threefold way, the eight noble truths and all that kind of stuff. You know, everything I know about, about a Buddha I actually like, except the fact that he abandoned his wife and kids. But other than that, he found a nice sort of in-between between total asceticism and total awareness. Pretty good. Alright, what about Muhammad? What did Muhammad claim for himself? He claimed to be a prophet. He claimed to have had, had direct contact with Gabriel. In fact, the claims of Muhammad and the claims of Joseph Smith are almost the same thing. And if you know much about their lives, you know their lives have a little bit in common. Alright, what about Moses? Moses is a great spiritual leader. A lot of people believe in him. What did Moses claim? Moses claimed to be a prophet. Did he claim to work miracles? Well, kind of. I mean, did he produce the bread from heaven? No. Did he make the water come out of the rock? No. So, a prophet, lawgiver, and uh, maybe... Miracle worker, kind of. I don't know if you can read the, uh, the, the, the comic there. It says, let me see. Uh, Thank you for drawing this. Muhammad, see Muhammad with the arrow. Thank you for drawing Billy, but we, now we have to kill you. Oh. 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 All right. 
moving along. All right. So there's this idea that, you know, Buddha, Krishna, you know, they're all different paths, more or less to the same place. All different religions teach pretty much the same thing. All right? And the question I'm going to ask, is that a reasonable thing, given what Jesus claimed upon himself? Because the one person whose claims we haven't mentioned yet are Jesus. And I'm going to show that Jesus' claims about himself wipe out all the others. To the point where all these others really don't even matter anymore. And and going back, to say that Jesus is just an important religious leader amongst many, this really doesn't make any sense. Because if Jesus is not who he said he was, then he's a liar... Or a crazy person. And if he was who he said he was, then he's certainly not one important religious leader amongst many. Not at all. So let's think about some of the things Jesus claimed for himself. Then we'll talk about messianic prophecies in the resurrection. Okay, got it? All right. All right. Now, if we look at the claims of Jesus, we're left with some possibilities. All right. Either he was who he said he was, or he was sort of crazy, totally loony bins, or a liar. All right? So, let's look at those. All right, John 5, 39. John 5, 39. Jesus said to the scribes and fairmen, the teachers of the law, he said, y'all have been reading, he didn't say y'all, but <laughs> he said, yeah, y'all, basically. Y'all have been reading the scriptures your whole life, but you missed the whole point. These scriptures are all written about me. That's a pretty crazy thought. All right, Bruce, I'd like you to stand up. Come on, Bruce. I want you to make this claim, but do it with conviction, okay? And we'll see what the reaction is. There's no way. I want you to do it anyway. Thank you for having the right heart there. All right. 
Uh, let's go to let's go to John. What's that? I didn't, I didn't bring my Bible, but it's Bible, Bible lesson. Thanks, Jack. It's in here somewhere. <laughs> All right. John six. Let's go there. Uh, again, remember, this is who Jesus might be. The, the question for tonight is, who is Jesus? Sage, crazy man, wise person, son of man, Messiah, son of God. John chapter six. I'll get there. Jay got me a brand new Bible. The pages are still covered. You know what she did? It does, it's not a red letter edition, so she went through and she underlined all the words. Wow. 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 So every time I read this Bible, I'm like, wow, my wife must really love me. That's pretty good. Muslims are well aware of this. Yes, they are. 
Joseph Smith? Did he ever sin? Oh. How about Moses? Jesus said he was without sin. And notice the response here. Right after he claimed to be without sin. Uh, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and a demon possessed? Jesus said, I'm not possessed by a demon. Remember, one of the options was crazy, right? So Jesus says to the people, men who have known him for several years, he said, did any of you prove him guilty of sin? And they're going, uh, no, 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 it's not. Oh, there's that one time. No, not really. I mean, nobody had anything to say except you're crazy. Now, what kind of answer is that to the question, can anybody prove me guilty of sin? Mm -hmm. right? Can anybody prove me guilty of sin? Uh, you're crazy. In other words, what does that mean? Yeah. Right. The answer is, no, actually, we can't. Right. And Jesus is just another religious leader, just kind of like Krishna. By the way, the whole Krishna thing, I, I got a, 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 an angry letter on my a website one time because I made I mentioned that Jesus is real and Krishna is not real. Krishna, you know, the Hindu yeah. guy. And he said, that's disrespectful, and how could you say that? And I wrote back and I said, well, I don't know. I know where Jesus was born. I know when he was born. I know the name of his mother, his father, uh, three of his brothers. I know where he died. I know a number of his friends, all that sort of stuff. So can you tell me uh, where Krishna was born, when he lived, when he died? And it took him about three weeks. And he wrote back and said, well, he was born somewhere between about 1800 B.C. and about 100 B.C. Oh, wow. <laughs> In a city that nobody knows where it is. Okay. Wow. See, Krishna is not even an actual person. All right, now let's go to John 8.58. Let's go. Okay. Okay. By the way, I'm not going to have anybody stand up on this one because I don't, you know, if, if Bruce, if you're uncomfortable on standing up for uh, John 6, how about this one here? John 8. All right, verse 58. I'll start in verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it was blood. You are not yet 50 years old, he said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone them. But Jesus himself slipping away from the temple. What did Jesus claim about himself? My God. Now, has anybody ever claimed to be God? It happens all the time in crazy places. Yeah. I've literally had somebody say that at a crazy place. Okay? <laughs> now, was, were these people confused about what he was claiming? No. You know what happened in the burning bush, right? Uh, Moses asked God, so who should I say, say sent me? God, I am. So Jesus did not say before Abraham was born, I was. He didn't say before Abraham was born, I was. He said before Abraham was born, I am. In other words, I am the self-existent one. The creator of the universe. 
Now again, I don't know, maybe I'm off on this, but either Jesus is God, or he's not God. Now if he's not God, then what are we doing here? We're worshiping a, a megalomaniac, crazy person who's just, the elevator doesn't stop on all the floors. <laughs> Out of that, or the religion that we take part in, the head of that religion is the creator of the universe. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think there's sort of an, there's not a partial version of that. You know what I'm saying? Right. And you know, people say, "Oh, Jesus, Muhammad, you know, and Baha'u'llah, you know, Lapsu, and uh, all these other gurus and stuff like that." Really? All right. How about uh, John 10, verse 30? We don't really need any more examples. I think I got the idea here, right? John 10, verse 30. My, uh, let me see. Uh, I'll go back to verse 1. My Father has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, what's Jesus claiming here? Well, actually, I, I can see two interpretations. One is, me and God, we're like really close. That's a possible interpretation. Right? You know, my wife and I, we're one. You, know, you say that kind of stuff. Or maybe saying that he's God. Well, let's see how the audience interpreted what he said. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone. Again, this kept happening. You know, people are trying to stone this guy. Right. You know what? If he claimed to be God and he wasn't, what should you do probably? Stone him. <laughs> you know what? What's interesting is the average response to Jesus is, yeah, I believe in Jesus. In fact, I, I went to church a couple months ago. I, I, I used to go to this church. And I believe in Jesus. You know, I try to be a good person. <laughs> Nobody reacted that way to Jesus in that time. <laughs> right. They were the, you know, fall on your face, worship him. You know, what must I do to be saved? Go away from an evil you know, evildoer, or let's kill him. Amen. So why is it that people have this sort of in-between response to Jesus? I think it's because they haven't been confronted with the actual Jesus. So that might be our job. Anyway, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, um, you don't get it. No, I'm not I'm not claiming I'm God. He's saying, I, I'm just saying he got us close. You know, that's not what he said, alright? He said, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these do you stone me? So, who is Jesus? Last one. <coughs> John chapter 11. You know the story. <coughs> Jesus' closest friend may very well have been Lazarus and Mary and Martha. I'm pretty sure he's a closer friend to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, even than some of the apostles get that sense. And how many people did Jesus heal? You know, thousands. And Lazarus is about to die. And they say, come on, Jesus, come right away. Lazarus is dying. And she says, you know what, I'm kind of busy. I don't have time right now. When I get around to it, I'll come by the house. All right, and you can imagine they were a little bit frustrated. Lazarus dies. Four days later, 
Jesus shows up in time. I, we know Jesus, right? We know he, he knew exactly what's going on here. Verse 21 of John 11. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I'm telling you right now, that do you believe this, that is there for you. Amen. That's the question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that if you believe in Jesus, you will live even though you die? Amen. What's Jesus saying? Well, actually, this claim is kind of similar to what he claimed in John chapter 6. Where he said, those who feed on me will, will have eternal life. Jesus is saying, if you have a relationship with me, you will live for eternity. Amen. Um, I'm trying to think of a world religious leader that said something like that. I mean, would any of them even have thought to say something like that? That's craziness. And as we know, Jesus had a way of kind of backing up some of his claims by actually doing something. Now, you all know exactly where we're going, don't you? Right? I, I don't know. I'm y'all tonight. Because I'm from Southern California. Southern California. Say that down there. Sit down to the tomb. Verse 41. You know, Jesus uh, is come out to the tomb. So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there that you may believe those who sent me. Well, actually, let's go back to verse 39. It said, Take away the stone. The Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. For he has been there for four days. Not by this time there would be a bad odor. No. By this time there is a bad odor. We're talking about a warm climate, folks. Alright? And what is a human body like after four days? Certain liquids are starting to, you know, it's kind of like the pumpkin in front of our... That's another story. <laughs> it had been there for about six months. Just got the handle. Verse 43. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. He who lives and believes in me will live even though they die. And then what did he do? He raised Lazarus from the dead. I love the next little verse. This is great. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did believe in him. I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. They're starting to get it. Yeah. But notice this farther down. Guess what some other people are there decided to do? The disciples. 
called the meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing that? Here's the stand performing many signs. If we let them go on like this, everyone will believe in them, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Now, very ironically, now one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Now, why did they decide to kill Jesus? Because they didn't believe he worked the miracles? No. Because they did believe he worked the miracles. Did they believe he was who he said he was? Apparently. So they decided to kill him. So who is Jesus? <coughs> Jesus is God a sinless man who was the foreshadowed thing of the entire Old Testament. Thought in him in, in whom if you believe you will live even though you die. That's who Jesus is. Oh, so is Jesus crazy? You know, that's another idea. Well, what do crazy people do? You know what crazy people do? They do crazy things. <laughs> Did Jesus ever do a crazy thing? Well, yeah, I guess so. He said to the Pharisees, you're a brood of vipers in whitewashed tombs. That's a little crazy. Even the rabbi said he's possessed by a demon. And yet Jesus said, uh, I am healing people. Demons don't do that kind of thing. That makes no sense. Some people say, a liar. But liars lie. <laughs> Jesus was not a liar. <coughs> Alright, so how do we know that Jesus is who he says he is? Well, one of, it, one of them is because of the miracles he worked. But another reason is because of the prophecies he fulfilled. I like Luke 24, 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I'm still with you. Everything, that must, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus claimed to be the fulfillment of the messianic expectation. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. We're going to spend a whole section talking about Matthew as the book that sees Jesus as the fulfillment of the messianic expectation. All right, but let, let's, let's address this question, pretending, if you will, momentarily, that we're a skeptic. Yeah, right, whatever. So the skeptic might ask, well, how do I know these prophecies will really been added I mean, maybe what it is, Jesus did this and the other thing, and then they, they kind of wrote this stuff down. See? See? Well, the problem with that is there's a few problems. One of them is, of course, that we have, for example, the, uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, we have the Dead Sea Scroll, all right, from Qumran, from around 150 to 180 B.C. And besides, the idea that they would have changed the Old Testament in order to make it appear as if Jesus would go prophecies, who would they have to convince to do that? The Jewish people. Can you imagine talking to the Jewish people and saying, hey, you want to make the Old Testament kind of put this stuff about the, you know, about the, 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 the donkey? And the, you want to do that? Do us a favor? I don't think so. No, these things obviously were written 
hundreds and hundreds of years before. Alright? Well, how do I know these things really happen? Maybe what it is is uh, some of Jesus' followers are reading stuff in the Old Testament and it says the Messiah is going to do such and such. Okay, great. Let's say that he did such and such. Now, there's a problem with that because what that means is these people are starting this massive conspiracy. They're setting themselves up to be killed for their faith. That's not a very good plan. But the fact is, almost all these prophecies we're going to look at from the Old Testament are fulfillment that are known from historical record, such as Tacitus, or Josephus, or the Jewish Talmud. I'm not going to read all those things. I'll, I'll post this all on my website and read some of those. Okay, how about question number three? Again, we're trying to take the role of the skeptics. How sh why should I believe this kind of stuff? Alright, now how do I know these prophecies are really talking about the Messiah? Alright, for example, if you, you read the prophecies of Nostradamus, and they tried to say, you know, what Nostradamus is, yeah. yes, they, uh, they'll say he, he predicted the assassination of John Kennedy, and he predicted 9-11, and then you go and read the actual uh, things written by Nostradamus and I go, I guess, maybe. So how do we know these really were actually Messianic prophecies? Well, it turns out we're going to look about six or seven prophecies, and all but one of them, Jews for hundreds of years had been saying, this is a prophecy about our Messiah. So we'll take the Jews' word for it. Here's an interesting fact. After the time of Christ, the Jews changed their order of worship. Uh, you know, in some denominational churches, they, they do the same verse every year. They kind of go through a cycle of readings. Yes? Yeah. All right. Yeah, we're not naming churches, but you know what we're talking about. But the Jews had many Messianic prophecies in their regular rotation of readings, and they took most of them out after Jesus. See why? Okay, number four. Well, what about this? Jesus is thinking, all right, I want to claim to be the Messiah. Awesome. All right, it says in Zechariah chapter, is it nine or ten? That I have to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. All right, great. Hey, guy, you know, I've got ten bucks here, or ten shekels or whatever. Could you kind of reserve a donkey for me? Alright, how about that? Could it be that Jesus arranged to fulfill these things because he wanted to claim to be the Messiah? Well, there's a problem with that is because one of the prophecies is you get killed. Right. So if this was a plan, yes, I'm Messiah, it's great, all of everybody's going to love me and follow me. Oh, I have to die. That's kind of hard to fulfill because then I don't get to enjoy this awesome fulfillment of that prophecy. Alright, so let's look at some of the prophecies in the Old Testament. How about the book of Isaiah? Which was written around 720, 730 B.C. Over 750 years before the events. And we have the co a copy of Isaiah scroll from, the, uh, from Qumran. All right, Isaiah 53. And the prophecy we're about to read is one that the Jews themselves said was about their Messiah. All right? Let's see here. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. 
nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with grief, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took of our pain, he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now again, let's, let's kind of be, take the place of the skeptic. Right? Uh, the skeptic says, well, how do I know this really happened? Is it a historical fact that Jesus was despised and rejected by people? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a historical fact. Is this common knowledge even amongst Jews to be a messianic prophecy? Yes. Now wait a minute. Jesus, he wants to claim to be the Messiah. Could he arrange to be despised and rejected? Sure, he could. I mean, you know, walk into Jerusalem and call the leaders of the dominant religious sect, whitewashed students, and a bunch of vipers. I'll I'll concede that one. But how about Pierce for our transgressions? Talking about the fact that that the spear was pushed into his side. Could Jesus have arranged that one? Can you imagine yourself on the cross? Hey guys, you're killing me. Alright, you're killing me. Hey, could you do me a favor? Come on. I mean, just do me a favor. And my friends, they'll give you, they'll give me 50 bucks later. After I die, just, just trust me on this, please. Could you make sure you stab me in the side? Um, I don't know about that. Right. And then there's Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler of Israel, whose origins are from old nation times. This is absolutely a messianic prophecy. So where does the Messiah have to be born? Bethlehem. Which Bethlehem? There are two Bethlehems in Israel. The smaller one is Bethlehem Ephrathah. So, where was Jesus born? Is that a matter of historical record? Yes. Could Jesus have a race to be born in Bethlehem? Sure he could! If he was God in the flesh. There you go. And then there's Isaiah 9, verse 1. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he'll honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. And skipping down to verse 6, for to us a child is born. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Is this a messianic prophecy? I think so. Yes, sir. So what about Zebulun and Naphtali and all that sort of stuff? Alright, so, I don't know if you knew where Zebulun and Naphtali are. Here is Naphtali. Here is Zebulun. Alright, now let's, let's forward the map to the time of Jesus. And look where Nazareth is. Nazareth is right on the border between Zebulun and Naphtali. So to be the Messiah, he has to be born in Bethlehem, but he has to come from somewhere kind of the general neighborhood of Nazareth. Uh, how many people alive on the earth today would meet both requirements? <laughs> Maybe none? Anybody here born in Bethlehem? You've you got this idea. You want to be a Messiah. All right? 
And again, could Jesus have arranged to be born, uh, to be raised rather, in the region of Zebulun and Ephraim? Is it a historical fact that Jesus came from Nazareth? In fact, yes, in fact, the Christian sect was called the Nazarenes. Because everybody knew that Jesus was from Nazareth. Alright, so, despised and rejected. Here's silent when accused, unlike that cell phone. around 1000 BC, certainly a messianic psalm. By the way, the ones we're reading, honestly, this is the only one the Jews would not have said. The Jews in the time of Jesus would not have identified this as a messianic psalm. All the others they would have. But I think it's kind of easy to figure out what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Can you think of somebody who was born in Bethlehem who was despised and rejected? Did you know that when David lived, crucifixion didn't even exist? Right. Crucifixion was invented roughly 300 BC, 700 years later. But actually, the Romans invented this method of crucifying by piercing hands and feet around 100 BC. I like to imagine David writing this psalm. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Right that down and goes, Why did I say that? Alright? But we know why. I can count all my bones. Do you know, for 1,500 years, when the Jews celebrated Passover, God said, sacrifice that perfect Passover lamb, put the blood of the lamb on the wooden beam above your door, and don't break any of the bones. Why not? That's the best part. Because it was a prophecy. As was this. A prophecy that unlike the two thieves on either side whose legs were broken, Jesus' legs were not broken. Could Jesus have arranged to have his legs not broken? The way to arrange that was to die fast enough. Because it was the night before the Passover, and the Jews said, We can't, this is blasphemy. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. But to have that on Passover is blasphemy. So they said, we need to end this right now. And the way you end a crucifixion is by breaking the legs. Those of you who have had a cross study, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But Jesus was already dead. Mm. Then it says they cast lots for my clothing, but they also divided my clothing. Interesting. Now, which is it? You know, one for you, one for you, one for me? Or gamble? Which did they do? Well, they actually did both. So if you want to be the Messiah, you have to get crucified. By the way, it's hard to get crucified. I'm serious. 
<laughs> because who did he have a problem with? The Jews. The Jews didn't have the power to crucify. So he had to kind of manipulate them into getting the Romans to do the crucifixion. That was a hard thing to do. But while they get crucified, they have to divide your garments. And I don't know, do you think Jesus was on the cross saying, hey guys, do you realize how expensive that inner garment is? It's woven in one piece. So why don't you, you know, why don't you do yourself a favor? You know what? I think Jesus is the I'm kind of being led in that direction pretty strongly. And the skeptic who doesn't agree with this, what are you thinking? I mean, what, you know, what are you talking about? Okay, but we're not done. A couple more. How about Zechariah 11? I told them that if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, it's it. So they pay me how many pieces of silver? 30 pieces. Now, wait a minute. How much was Jesus betrayed for? Right. 30 pieces of silver. Could Jesus have arranged this price? Uh, I don't think so. It wasn't in the room. I, I like to imagine these guys, these uh, Jewish leaders, about three or four months later, they're reading Zechariah. They're reading Zechariah, and then they go, Oh, that's 30 people. We should have given them 100. We're being cheap. We should have given them 100. Now, uh, what did Judas do with those 30 pieces of silver? Well, his plan, I believe his plan, was not for Jesus to kill, but was to incite him towards rebellion. It didn't work. Judas is like, uh, feels remorse. I wish he'd done it. I believe he could have been saved just like Peter was saved. Right. So he did the worst betrayal. I don't know, 50 50. But instead, he threw the money into the, into the temple. They said, We can't take this money. So what they did was they bought the potter's field. Ah, there you go. Okay. Now, but my favorite one is Daniel 9. That's a cool one. Verse 24. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. No one understand this. From the issue of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. Now, who is this talking about? This person who's going to put an end to sin, he's going to finish transgression, he's going to atone for wickedness, he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness, fulfill seal of vision of prophecy, and anoint the most holy one. By the way, the word anoint is Messiah. This is the Messiah. So according to this prophecy, the Messiah has to come to Jerusalem to do all these things after 77s. 77s after what? After the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Well, when was that? Well, there's the decree of Cyrus in 538 BC, which was to go back and rebuild the temple, but not the city. But there was the decree of Artaxerxes, in the seventh year, I'm sorry, the decree, yeah, in, in his seventh year, you can read that in Ezra 7 if you want, and it was the decree to go back and rebuild the city. In fact, that's what they actually did. Nehemiah did the work that our Xerxes said to do. 
Here was 458 BC. Alright, now 77s. That's 490. The reason I know it's 490 years is read Daniel 9, verse 1. He says he was reading the prophecy of the 70 years in Jeremiah 29, right? God says, in 70 years I'll come and I'll save my people. And Daniel said, alright, because he'd been in captivity by, for 68 years by then. So he's doing the math, alright, it's coming up. God, come, fulfill this prophecy. And God says, sure, I'm going to fulfill that prophecy, not in 70 years, but in 70 times 7 years. Alright, let's subtract 490 from 458. The, uh, you want to do the math there? I'm a chemistry professor, I can do that in my head just real quick. It's negative 32, which would be 32 AD. No, no, because there's no year zero. Alright, so it goes from 1 BC. So, alright, so 77s after the creed of restored Middle Jerusalem, somewhere around 33 AD. Wow. Oh, okay. By the way, there's this little detail in there. It's 77627. So the little detail is the prophecy is during the last week. In other words, somewhere between about 26 AD and about 33 AD. Jesus probably was killed in 30 AD. See what we're talking about? That's really cool. See, if anybody's going to be the Messiah, they have to be born in Bethlehem. But they have to actually come from the region of Galilee, near the border of Zebulun and Naphtali. They have to be despised and rejected by people, be silent when accused, pierced, and crucified, both. They have to have their garments divided and gambled over. They have to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. None of their bones can be broken. The money has to be used to buy a potter's field. And all this has to happen somewhere right around 30 AD. And there are some people who actually don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Crazy. Right? So who is Jesus? Well, one thing I know is, he's the Messiah. And you go back to John 5 where he said, this all was written about me. And we haven't even begun to talk about types, prefigures, and foreshadows. Get a copy of my book. There you go. Okay. You know what? Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And I believe it. Jesus said, if you live and believe in me, you will live even though you die. And I believe it. Some people say, crazy man. Some people say liar. Others say, wise person, prophet. I say, God in the flesh. Amen. Savior of mankind. Alright, how are we doing on the time? It is, what's that say? 8.37. We started at 7.30. Alright, so I'm going to, can I go another 10, 15 minutes? Is that okay? Q&A. Q&A, alright. So I'll go about 10 more minutes. I want to talk about the resurrection. Nice. By the way, admittedly, this lesson is, is a little bit on the basic side. It's stuff that, if you've been around for a while, most of you could have anticipated some of these arguments. Mm. But here's the thing. We've got a bunch of people around us who think that Jesus is just you know, a nice enough guy to, to you know, put him kind of sort of near the top of the list up there with Mother Teresa. Wow. These people are just 
aren't getting it. I think it's our job to confront people with the real Jesus. Because people should either say Jesus is Lord, and that includes you all, or they should beat them and do their best to stop out this deceitful religion. But what about the resurrection? You know, David Hume said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. By the way, David Hume was an atheist. And he was using that to dismiss the idea of the resurrection, actually. Alright? David Hume is, is not a friend of Christianity, if you know much about David Hume. Alright? So, but I, I want to present some facts. And I believe if, if there is anything from the ancient world that is factual, I believe these things are fact. Fact number one, Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate in Jerusalem. That is a fact. I mean, you know, I've, I've had people say, you know, we don't know anything from the past. Oh, okay, we don't know anything from the past. That same person I was having a debate, I said, so do you believe that Abraham Lincoln lived? He said, no, it's all conspiracy. Alright, well, people like that, you know, I don't know, I don't know. Josephus said, Josephus, the, Jew, the Jewish historian, said, when Pilate, upon hearing him accused by man of the high standing among us, had condemned him to crucify, those who in the first place come, uh, a place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. Josephus was not a Christian. Tacitus also reports that Jesus was crucified. <coughs> the Talmud, this is a Jewish writing of the, of the late 1st or early 2nd century, said on the eve of the Passover they hung Jeshu, talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. It's a historical fact. Fact number two. The resurrection was preached by Christians in Jerusalem beginning within days or weeks of when Jesus died. This is an undeniable fact. And even historians of, of Christianity who are atheists and don't believe in God can see that the church always, from the very beginning, thought that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, whether or not it's true, I'm, I'm not saying right now, I'm not saying it's a fact in quotes that it's true as raised from the dead. What I'm saying is it's a fact that the early church did actually believe. They actually believed it. Alright, because you cannot explain the spread of Christianity. You cannot explain the, the veracity of these witnesses. I, uh, let me give an example. You've heard of Mormonism, probably. And the Book of Mormon, there are these three witnesses. And you, the, uh, the front piece, these three witnesses to the golden plates. All three of them left Mormonism. There you go, okay? Okay? And there's no evidence that any early Christian ever said, we were just kidding. We just wanted to start this wonderful religion. No, they believed it. Fact number one, he was indeed crucified in Jerusalem by Pontius Number two, certainly, at the very minimum, it was preached and believed right there in Jerusalem, right there. Fact. Fact number three, the tomb was empty. This is absolutely a fact. Because what if the tomb 
tomb had not been empty, then what would have happened? It was said, you know, Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and he says, Did God raise this Jesus who you crucified from the dead? And he said, <laughs> Excuse me, uh, let's uh, take a tour over here. The tomb is empty. How do we explain this? Now remember, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. You've got to admit that. And so, any other logical explanation other than resurrection is preferred to the skeptic. Because people don't just raise from the dead all the time. It's, it's just not a normal thing. It certainly defies a few of the laws of nature. That's for sure. So, you have to admit, the skeptic kind of, you know, they've heard the burden of proof argument. This, the burden of proof really is probably on the believer. But we have these to the atheist, annoying fact, which he was crucified, the, the resurrection was preached and believed, and the tomb was empty. So what are your options here? Alright? And by the way, I would say, and see this one here, maybe I'm pushing it just a little bit, I would say fact number four is the fact of life. I mean, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, right, afterwards he appeared to Peter and Cephas and the other apostles, and then the 500 eyewitnesses, uh, many of whom are still with us. Right? And that, that, there were these annoying eyewitnesses. Right? Now, let, let's say you had uh, something you'd want to get people to agree and actually happen. Let's say you have one eyewitness. Does that prove it out? No. Well, you know, you got two eyewitnesses. No. Ten eyewitnesses, all of the same story. How about 500 eyewitnesses? How, how high quality are these witnesses? Every single one of them, you can say, I will kill you unless you change your story. And all of them say, go ahead and kill them. I would say, I would say, we could defend the idea that it's a fact that he's alive. But I'm not going to base my argument on this. I'm going to base my argument on the first three. Definitely crucified, definitely preached and believed. And definitely the empty tomb. So what are your alternatives? I mean, there's only three I've ever heard of. One, they took his body. Two, he didn't really die. Or three, he was raised from the dead. And I have never heard proposed anywhere in any book by anybody any, any alternatives. That's it. All right, so we've got three choices. Uh, sure, he died. And the reason the tomb was empty is because they took his body... And apparently the Christians didn't hear about it, because otherwise they would have preached that he raised the dead. The other one is, well, he didn't really die. And he just, you know, he just passed out for a little while, and then he came out, that's why he was alive afterwards. Okay, let's talk about those. The stolen body theory. Probably a lot of you have heard this idea. But I, I want to show you how utterly absurd this is. Alright, so who would have stolen the body? Would the Romans have stolen the body? Ah, uh, give me a reason. That, that, that's crazy. Would the Jews have stolen the body? Sure. So they could present it later, you know? Yeah. But they didn't do that. So would the Christians have stolen his body? Why would the apostles steal his body? What What could they possibly have gained from that? Uh, martyrdom, death, lifelong, you know, suffering. So let's just kind of sit there. Yeah, man, 
uh, that Jesus was so awesome. He was going to reestablish the kingdom. And now he's dead. What are we going to do? So he says, oh, I know. Let's, let's steal the body. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's say they have this crazy idea. Because sometimes people have crazy ideas. When you were a teenager, you had a lot of really crazy ideas. And you even did some. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. But could they have stolen the body? You know, there's this, you know, the, the, the Roman troops, the sharpest uh, soldiers in the world. So what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, let's see, we're going to maybe some karate chops, some, uh, I don't know, maybe hit them with a bat. All right, now, if, let's say they did. So these, you know, these just farmers and fishermen, they're going to go after this Roman uh, soldiers, and they're going to kill them all, and nobody's going to notice that they're dead. You know, it's all going to be a secret. I mean, the stolen body theory is so ridiculous. It's like, give me a break. Wow. That is utter... Nonsense and ridiculous in other words like that. This is not what happened. Okay. The other one is the uh, swoon theory. Here's the idea. Alright, it is true that Jesus was whipped, scourged to the point of near death. It is true he had no water to drink for like three or four days, no food. It is true that he was crucified, and dead. And how do you know he's dead? Because, I'm telling you, if you're hanging limp while crucified, there's only one possible thing there, is that you're dead. Because in order to stay alive, you have to keep pushing up with your feet. So, the guy is dead. And who would know? How about Roman soldiers who do crucifixions? They would probably know. Oh, yeah. Also, he was given what would have been a fatal wound anyway with the spear. And when the spear pierced the, his, his chest cavity, separate water and blood came out. I don't know if Jesus, I'm, sorry, I'm not sure that John knew the medical implications of that. But when you die, the serum separates from the, from the red blood cell a couple of hours, about an hour or so after you die. So you've been dead for about an hour. Alright, the swoon theory. So this person who had no water, no food, was whipped to the point of near death, and the crucified is dead, and then been given an absolutely fatal wound after that. He kind of wakes up and is moves the massive stone, and then he he single-handedly <laughs>
President Trump, or, or what about, uh, you know, the quantum mechanics, and how's that related, you know, blah, blah. I don't know. Jesus raised his head. Come on, bro. Come on, John. So who is Jesus? I would say, given the claims that he made, and the life that he lived, and the prophecies that he fulfilled, and the resurrection that he underwent, I believe he is who he says he is. He is God in the flesh. He's the one in whom if you believe, you'll live even though you die. Amen. So, uh, we have a few minutes for question and answer. Amen. So, any questions? To be related to that or a Bible question in general. Yes. So how do you respond to somebody that says Jesus was a man sent by God and that God is in heaven and Jesus was just a prophet? How would you respond to that? Okay, if Jesus is just a prophet, then he's a very, very prophet because he's a liar. Because he said, I am Father of Right. He said, before anyone was born, I am. So if you say he's just a prophet, what kind of prophet would lie about that? Right. Okay. And uh, prophets don't normally walk on water or raise people from the dead. Say the claims that he gave about himself says that 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 option that is not a rational option. And if he's not who he said he was, then, then if he's a prophet, he's a really bizarre kind of prophet because prophets generally are not known to lie. Uh, prophets who claim to be prophets of lie generally get killed. So, again, people say stuff like this all the time, but the fact is, it's not a rational claim. And I think our job is just to point out that that's not a rational claim. I mean, it, it could be that he is not a prophet and then he didn't he'd say these things, but if he said these things and he's not, then he's certainly not a prophet. Okay? Yes? Um. What about the, the people that say, how could Jesus, if Jesus was God, who was he praying to when he was praying to God? You but, know that whole thing? Alright, so this raises the question about the, what we call the, commonly called the Trinity. And that's one of the hardest questions I think in Christianity to answer. Uh, we have a class, a 10 hour class on what the hard questions, answering hard questions. We take a class if you're interested. And all the really hard questions, I believe, are of a theological nature. For example, if God is so loving and so powerful, why is it suffering? But one of those hard questions is this thing about the Trinity. I mean, think about it. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So yesterday, I was with Bruce, but I am Bruce. <laughs> you know, on the face of it, that doesn't really make much sense. And so this idea that God is one and yet in some uh, difficult to understand sense three, that's a pretty challenging thing to actually defend logically. 
But I would say, the person who said, before Abraham was born, I am, is also the one who was raised from the dead, and the one who raised Lazarus, and who fed 5,000. To me, uh, you know, for example, let's say I'm sharing with a Muslim. If they want to come after me on the Trinity, honestly, I, I kind of want to change the subject. Because it's hard to logically defend the idea of Trinity. To me, the logic of Trinity is this. It's about relationship. It's about the idea that God, by definition, is love. Amen. And even God in Himself is three that have this intimate love with one another. I can't defend that logically. Um, the Bible certainly presents that as being the case. Uh, I have a good friend, his name's Pete, and he says that's not logical, it's logical, all right? That's, that's <laughs> so, you know, I, honestly, I cannot defend from a logic, human logical logic basis the idea that Jesus is talking to the Father. And if Jesus is God and the Father is God, that means he's talking to himself. So I think that that is a good question. And I would just say, here, let's just read the book of John together. Let's find out who this person is. Let's ask you, like Jesus asked Mary in, in, in John 11, do you believe? Yes? John, in the beginning of your lesson, you mentioned that we may be a generation away from uh, people not knowing the Bible. I didn't say that. That's what Robert said. <laughs> and uh, could you let us know, like, what is it we can do to be proactive? To uh, what can we do about it as Christians? And also, how does that tie into um, being in the post-Christian era? Is the post-Christian era really okay? Uh, so let's wind the clock back. It's 30 A.D. We're sitting in the upper room, and we got about about a third of the number of people in this room and Jesus had a discussion. We got a bunch of people who have very little of any education, no money, no political connections. They're basically hillbillies from, you know, Galilee. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses first to Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and that's a mic dropping thing. He says it's all the world. Okay? And within uh, a generation, the entire known world, at least the Mediterranean world, had been, that had heard about Jesus. Yeah. Alright? And so, they could do it. Yeah, we can. Amen. Uh, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have that. Uh, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have the ability to fly. They had to walk. But what did they have? Well, they had the fact that they had been with Jesus. Yeah. Jesus' people are world-changing people. Amen. They had facts, like Andy too. And like Peter in Jerusalem says, God, made this Jesus did signs and miracles, as everybody here knows. Right? And also what they had was radical lives. They had lives lived according to Matthew 5 through 7. And they had answers to questions that modernists and postmodernists just totally fall flat on their faces. I believe if they could do it, then we could do it as well. 
Okay, I saw a question here. I gotta work towards the back. I gotta work towards the back. Yes. Can we get your website? Uh for If you just Google my name, it'll come up. Uh, there, there are some cards back there. If you buy one of my books, it'll say in the back of the book. <laughs> By the way, uh, Robert and I, Robert and I have written a book together on Hebrews. It's not out, and they delivered it to my house. That's what they said. But then they didn't actually deliver it to my house. Otherwise, I would have had a bunch of copies. So within a couple of days, like by Sunday, probably, rather than hopefully, and so you can copy. I it was been so cool if you could have both signed it. Yeah. So it's, anyways, evidenceforchristianity.org. There are over three thousand five hundred articles. Over 2,500 questions that I've answered, around 400 PowerPoints, 500 or 600 audios, all free. Go there. Yes? Can you like shed some light on the sect of Messianic Jews, so Jews who believe in Jesus? Uh, there were a lot of them back in Jesus' day. <laughs> I meant like, because Judaism in general doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay. Uh, all right, so basically you say Jews don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Well, some of them do, and they become Christians. Now, there's this idea that the Jews were totally unopened, and they rejected Jesus. Now, remember, within just a few weeks, there were 5,000 men, so probably well over 10,000 Christians, in Jerusalem. A lot of people lived in Jerusalem. I, I'm going to just get a wild guess. 20 25, maybe even 30 percent of all the Jews living in Jesus time being Christians. And we're talking about actual disciple Christians. What culture has ever had that percentage be real Christians? So this idea that the Jews reject, of course they did, but so did everybody. I would say a Jew is about as likely to be a Christian as anybody else, and that's true today. Right now, some people believe based on Romans. That uh, Romans 11, that God might have some sort of special place still preserved for Jews in the future in conversions. I don't know about that. My personal idea is that Jesus gave 40 years. I think it's no accident it was 40 years from 30 to 70 AD. And then, like it says in Hebrews uh, 8, verse 19, for his old and fitting will pass away. So I believe the time that the Jews were the Specific chosen people of God has passed. That's my opinion. Some Christians don't agree with that. And honestly, I, it's not, I don't care. The resurrection. God is going to work all that out of man. So anyway, again, I have a number of Jewish friends who are Christians. Uh, a whole family that are all Christians. Their dad, uh, at something like 78 years old as a Jew, was, was converted. So I, I, I just don't see a big difference between the probability of converting a Jew as opposed to anybody else. That's just the nice point. All right, all the way back. You guys choose between you. All right, pick, all right pick you, you. Black shirt, black shirt. Okay, your translation. Great. You wanted to know um, how uh, you prove that Jesus is the Messiah to a Jew who doesn't know about the New Testament. All right. Uh, okay. But I didn't use the New Testament. I didn't use the New Testament in my argument. I only use the Old Testament. All right. So what you do is, assuming that they believe the Old Testament to be 
the Word of God, the Torah. So just read the Old Testament. And you can say, well, what, uh, you know, how do they know these things happen? Well, you can just read uh, Josephus, a Jewish non-Christian historian. Alright, so I would say... Find your book. Yeah, find your book. So, again, I, I'm getting the idea that somehow Jews are more likely to not be able to believe in Jesus than other people. And I, I don't know, I just don't agree with that. Fine, there's Messianic Jews. So why don't they just call themselves Christians if they believe in Jesus? They can call themselves whatever they want. Okay? <laughs> they want to call themselves Messianic Jews. Uh, I believe that there are Messianic Jews that are Christians that are going to heaven. Amen. So what's the big deal? Now it is true that some Messianic Jews try to push certain aspects of Old Testament onto other believers. But obviously, as long as they're going to do that in their own little circle over there, I, I don't really, I don't really mind. Just don't tell me that I have to observe uh, Sabbath and all that sort of stuff. So again, uh, Messianic Jews will write stuff, and if you don't agree with it, then just don't go with it. But I don't see that impacts us at all. Aren't you glad that there's some Messianic Jews? I sure am. Yeah. I would imagine probably the percentage of people living today who were born Jewish or Christian. Real actual Christians is probably similar to the Serbians and the, uh, the Germans and the Bolivians who are real Christians. All right. Hmm. Maybe one more, John. Only one more. Okay. All right. You got a pick? Great. Um, a lot of this, well, this is great. A lot of it assumes that someone is willing to actually think through some some arguments and establish some facts and stuff like that. So in an age of kind of intellectual laziness um, and some people who are not willing to do that, how can you help someone who's more experiential based, like saying, hey, you know, not that I believe it if I see it, but help right. them to overcome my unbelief? Well, I have a couple of comments on that. Number one, uh, most people who eventually become a Christian do not become Christians because of logical arguments. That is the small minority, it probably always has been, and will continue to be. Now, if somebody is lazy-minded and lazy-hearted, then they can't possibly become a Christian. But uh, I would say most people are going to become a Christian not because of some you know, argument from design or something like that. They're going to become a Christian because they know in their heart that there's the right thing to do and there's the wrong thing to do. They know in their heart that there is a creator who wants to have a relationship with us. And they see us. Alright? I, I remember, because I've been an atheist, at least supposedly. Then I, I came to believe in God because of science. So I started my little searching journey and I became a vegetarian. And I was into Buddhism and Buddhism. You know what it did for me? I walked into church. And I saw people, I was like, they actually love each other. And they don't even know each other. This place, what's going on here? So, yeah, so you might think that I became a Christian because of some rational, logical argument. It's not true. I walked into church and I said, wow, I found my place. So, uh, again, uh, I, I believe it is our job to present this material to people 
And, and, and but um, th th that's not going to be the thing that converts everybody. But it's definitely helps some people. Absolutely, no doubt. Really smart people like Amir, they're the kind of people that get converted by. <laughs> All right, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Eleven different Jesuses. Wow. Awesome. Only one of which will be the correct one. And then four portraits of Jesus plus one. Yeah. Awesome.